Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. I'm Jason Abrams, and this is the place where we lift the curtain on the world of real estate like never before. Every week, I sit down with visionaries, pirates, and mavericks. We're here to document, demonstrate, and most importantly, demystify their game-changing models and systems. What secrets propel them to the top, and how are they living their dreams? This is about passion, it's about strategy, but above all, it's about real, tangible success. So buckle up and let's dive in. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. I want to be a sideline reporter in the NFL. I want to spend my time interviewing the best athletes in the world. That's a dream job for so many people. And I'm going to talk to someone today that actually had that job. Then they wake up one morning and realize that's not going to give them the life they want. And instead, they become a residential real estate agent. And that blows me away because here's what this person finds. Our industry can take you to places you never even knew you wanted to go. This is the story of Nikki Miller. Friends, buckle up. Here we go. Nikki Miller, how are you? I'm so good and so excited to be here. We are thrilled to have you. I've watched you from afar, and you are an inspiration to me. And I want to talk about all the things that you've built and all the things that you have going on, because you run a real estate empire that stretches across the entire fruited plain. But I want to talk about how you got there. So so take me back. How did you end up in the real estate business? Well, I got really lucky, Jason, that I when I was in college, I worked as a I was basically an intern, but but got for all intents and purposes a real job working for the NFL, the NBA, MLB as a sideline reporter. So I got uh, to stop the tape. <laughs> you you yada yada yada. I became an NFL sideline reporter. How, how do you actually get that opportunity? <laughs> Well, I went to school for journalism. I, I thought that I wanted to be a, a writer. That's actually what I went to school to be. So I started when I was in high school. I was writing for my high school newspaper, and I was on the sideline. They, they didn't have anybody who understood sports enough to be able to write about them except me. So that, so I got landed with the sports column. And so they sent me to my first football game, and I was on the sideline of that football game taking notes and, and gathering interviews. And someone walked up to me and said, have you ever thought about doing this but on radio or on camera. And I thought, I, I mean, I, I didn't even know you could do that. I, I didn't really watch sports all that much outside of watching them live. And so it had never really occurred to me that that could even be a job. So I went to ended up going to college for journalism and got an internship and, and through a sideways story that's too long to tell here, ended up getting to do some actual live recording, some live interviews and got to spend about three seasons or three years doing each of these sports. And it was just such an incredible opportunity to learn how to talk to people, how to ask the right questions, something that really set the foundation for my future that I could have never named or never known, but ended up becoming far and away the most important skill that I have. So, okay. It, it kind of feels like you end up with the dream job. I mean, if, if you were to go around today and say, hey, to everybody, what do you want to do? Working on the field for the NFL seems like a good one. But we're not having this conversation on ESPN. 
So what happens next? We're not. Uh, candidly, Jason, I got a little bit bored. I mean, it was just the same conversations over and over and over and over again. And I looked up and said, I, ha- I had a dream really young that I wanted to invest in real estate. I wanted to have financial freedom. I wanted to grow an empire. I wanted to build my own business. I knew that that always called to me. And I thought maybe I'll, uh, I really like reporting. So that could be my vehicle to get there. I'll make money. I'll learn about real estate. I'll invest in it. And then I'll go and build, build that future empire. And then I looked up and said, I, I like this job, but I don't love this job. I, I'm appreciative of the time that I got to spend there. And you're right. Everyone looks at that and looked at me, by the way, at that time and said, you're absolutely crazy to give an opportunity like this up. And I said, I'm just taking somebody else's spot. Like somebody else will love and appreciate this a lot more than I do. And I'm bored and I don't like it and I don't want to do this anymore. And I was still in college at the time. And so I, I have such a vivid memory of this. And I tell the story all the time. I, I wanted, like I said, I wanted financial freedom. I wanted to invest in real estate. And so I said, I need to learn about money. I need to learn how to grow businesses. And I need to learn what's going to make me really wealthy. Like to me at the time, that was my translation, that I wanted to grow wealth and I wanted to become financially free. So I went to the library one day and I went to the biography section. I pulled out a bunch of books of people that I knew had become financially free who were really successful. And they all had one thing in common. Jason, you want to guess what it is? It was real estate. Real estate. You know, by the way, when you look up at the richest people in the world, they all make their money the same ways. Number one, inheritance, which (laughs) it's awesome if you're in that business. Number two is owning a business. Number three, though, is investing in real estate. Yeah. And so I said, I want number two and number three. So I'm going to study the best at it. And that's going to be the future that I want to unfold for myself. So I ended up midway through college, midway midway through having had the experience of being a sideline reporter. I ended up getting another major in finance because to me, that made sense at the time. I was like, I got to understand math to be able to understand the investing side of real estate. And so I got another uh, secondary degree in finance and graduated with my first job at a real estate investment and development firm. And I was an underwriter. And for those... you know, you know what that is, but for those that don't know what that is, it's the most awful and boring job in real estate. You literally sit behind a spreadsheet all day, every day, crunching numbers to see if the math works on investments. That was my job. And once again, what I know now today that I couldn't have named back then is that this was another skill that was setting me up for what, what would be extremely important for my future. Being able to model financial uh, outcomes is not something that most people are taught and not something that most people inherently know. And so learning that early in my career became really important for me being able to understand and make and, and make not only investment decisions later, but also really important business decisions later. So I spent a few uh, a few years doing that. I, like I said, was uh, an underwriter in an investment and development firm. And I thought that that was going to be sort of my path to starting my investment career. And, and I worked my tail off, Jason. I'm talking 100 hours a week every week for a little over a year. And the goal in that type of environment, I I ended up being with a really young firm, like basically a startup. And I I was early enough and on the ground floor enough that I would have had the opportunity to become a partner. And that's really how you make money in that space, right? That you could become a partner on these types of investment deals. And I worked my tail off with that one goal in mind. I mean, when I set my mind to something, I am going to see it to fruition. And the day that I got offered that partnership that I had worked so hard for, I came home that day super excited to tell who is now my husband, was then my boyfriend. And uh, I came home and I said, I've got great news. And he said, I've got news. And I said, well, you go first. What's your news? And he said, I just found out that my job is moving me to Northern California. And I said, I just found out that I'm going to become a partner at my job. And we just looked at each other and just sort of said, 
what do we do? And ter- turns out I liked him. And so I went, I, I left that position and, and I went to Northern California with him and I got there and I thought to myself, what am I going to do? I, I don't want to start that process over. I don't want to start at, at another firm and, and do the hundred hours a week and work my way up again to build somebody else's dream. I thought if I'm going to work this hard, I want to build something for myself. And so Again, my, my future, the goal that I had had continuously come back to was I want to invest in real estate. I want to become financially free. And I thought to myself, well, who's on the ground floor of the best real estate investments and, and who understands real estate the best? And I thought to myself, well, real estate agents do. And I had already had my real estate license. I just sort of got it as, as part of the process to have. And so uh, by the grace of whatever you believe in, I, I landed my way at Keller Williams and was one of the crazy people uh, as a brand new agent with them at the ripe age of 22 years old. I, I always sort of joke that I, I very much grew up here. And I was one of the crazy ones that just did what they told me to do. You, you have this idea, I wanted to be financially free. What does that actually mean to you? I wanted to be able to build enough passive income that I could work because I wanted to work. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it with who I wanted to do it with. And I didn't want to work as hard as I was working to not be able to build something around me that would perpetually create more income. I understood really early early that if I was going to do something, it needed to have more than one implication. I.e., If I was going to work, I needed to work more than just to pay my bills. I needed to work so that I could create future income for myself. So now you know you want this thing. How do you go get it? So, like I said, I was one of the crazy ones that actually did what Keller Williams teaches you to do. Like I became a very successful individual agent. And I went into my team leader one day and I said, all right, I, I did it. I became a very successful individual agent. And now I have no time. I can't do anything else. I have all of these clients and I'm doing too many transactions and I literally don't have the ability to prospect anymore, which is the cycle that most agents end up going through. And I realized pretty early that I had hit my ceiling of achievement and I was not going to be able to do anything else. And by the way, this is at a time in my life that I'm not married and I don't have any kids. And frankly, I'm new to the area and don't really have any friends. I have no pets. I'm like not responsible. I don't even have a goldfish. I'm literally not responsible for anything. And so I I looked up and said, okay, this is not sustainable. If I can't manage this now, there's no way I'm going to be able to manage this type of workload in the future. So I went in my team leader and I said, well, what, what do I like? What do I do now? I have no idea what the next step is. I've hit my ceiling of achievement and I don't know what to do. And she, she did what she knew to do, which was she said, all right, well, now we're going to get you a coach and we're going to send you to all the classes on how to build leverage. So we're going to teach you how to hire people and we're going to teach you how to fire people and we're going to teach you how to build systems and we're going to teach you how to build marketing and, and run your database and do all of these things. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. And, and she said, well, that's the way it's always been done. And so I left and I, and I did those things and I tried that for six months and, and just failed miserably, Jason. And, and then I started to second guess myself. I said, maybe, maybe this business building gene isn't, isn't one that I have. Like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I wasn't built for this. Maybe I should go work for or with somebody else and be an entrepreneur as opposed to an entrepreneur. And so I went back to my team leader and, sa- and I said, thanks so much for, for all these classes and, and for the coach and all these things, but I don't want to do any of this. Like somebody before me has figured this out and I would really love to just pay them to do it. And she looked at me and said, well, you can't do that. That, that doesn't exist. And I remember so vividly, I just looked at her, I said, it really should. 
And I said, well, what are my options then? Because I, I really don't want to, I was really resisting doing all of these things because it felt so unnatural to me. It felt like I was, I, I came into her because I had too many jobs and this felt a whole lot like even more jobs. And I was really clear at what my job was as a real estate agent, which was prospecting, being in front of my clients, creating a great client experience. And all these jobs that she was telling me I had to do outside of that felt really far away from the most important thing for me in my business. And it felt so counterintuitive to me, but everyone around me was saying, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way you're supposed to do it. This is the next most natural step. And she said, well, your only other options are you can either join a team. And I didn't want to do that because that meant giving out my brand and putting my production under them. And, and I didn't like the financial model, frankly. So I was like, that, that's not an option for me. And she said, well, then you either build it yourself or you stay where you are. Those are your three options. And I said, all right, well, I, I don't want to stay where I am. I'm not going to join a team. And so sort of by force, I ended up building it out myself. So the, the lead syndicate that you've created supplies a ton of things to, to their agents. One of the things that it supplies at a scale that I haven't seen very often, if ever really before, is, is leads and appointments from people that want to transact. And I think that's really, really unique. And I know a large number of those come from people that you meet from the internet and then convert into raving fans. And I think you all do it really, really well. I'm, let's, let's pretend. I'm sitting out there. I want to add this pillar into my business. Walk me through this model and how you guys get such strong conversion. I think the way that everyone has to start with online leads in particular, and the majority of what we do, uh, the majority of the leads that we work with are from lead aggregators. And so if somebody's listening and doesn't know what that means, it's basically if somebody were to call Zillow or OpCity or Ojo or any of these lead aggregators wherein they effectively put up a search engine, and then the consumer sees 123 Main Street that they're interested in, and there's a button that says talk to an agent now or get more information now. And then that lead is distributed to a number of different agents to see who's going to answer. Because the biggest challenge that lead aggregators have, ironically enough, there's so many agents out there hurting for leads, but the biggest challenge that lead aggregators have is getting someone to answer the phone when a lead comes through. And so our first step, uh, well, let me back up for a second. Within that, I always tell people that if they're going to choose to lead generate with this type of vertical, they just have to be really clear that every type of lead generation has its own rules. Much like money has its own rules, much like people have their own rules, everything's got its own rules. And so online lead generation or, or closing lead aggregators isn't any different. It's got its own rules and you don't lead generate with these leads the same way you would your sphere of influence. It's just completely different. And so when I talk about this, a lot of people say it's, it's totally counterintuitive and a lot of it is in the traditional real estate sense, in the in the traditional way that people are taught to lead generated or lead generator pre-qualify. So the first step to this is the the, the if, if I could just teach anybody anything when they're doing online lead aggregation. The most important thing, all the other things will help you convert at a high high level, but the most important thing is speed to lead. And that will never change. It's speed to lead. You have to be fast. Because I look up with agents all the time and an agent will give me their value proposition and tell me how great they are and how amazing they are. And by the way, they very well may be. They may be the best agent I've ever met. 
But if they're slower than agent number one, who always gets to the lead first, it literally doesn't matter. The consumer will never know them. They will never have the opportunity to pitch their value proposition if they're not first to answer the phone. So the most important thing is speed to lead. The next thing, which is the most counterintuitive for people, is that once they answer the phone, they often want to pepper the consumer with questions. And they want to start the pre-qualifying process as they have been very traditionally taught to do inside the world of real estate. But I explain to people all the time that if you've ever searched anything online, if the website or the or the call-in number, if you have to press too many numbers to get to where you want to go, or the website makes you go to too many pages in order to get the information that you're looking for, what are you going to do? Leave. Yeah, you're just going to leave. Like you're just going to hang up the phone or stop searching or whatever it is. And and this is absolutely no different. By the time the consumer is calling you, they've probably already done whatever research they can on their own, which by the way is a lot. You can find out a lot of information online now. And they're frankly probably more of an expert in that location than you are at this point. And so when they're calling you, they don't want you to pepper them with any more questions. They want the information as fast as possible or they want whatever it is that they're looking for as fast as possible. 99% of the time what they're looking for is to go and see that house. So we very counterintuitively teach our agents, don't ask that many questions. You should spend two to three minutes on the phone at most and set the appointment. That's step number two. Like you got to set that appointment as fast as possible. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, Disney, I mentioned it on another episode, but Disney changed the, the, the mission statement for their tech department to get to the fun fast. Yeah. They knew the only reason you're coming there is to get to the fun. So making them wait in line, making them answer a bunch of questions, making them give their blood type before they enter the park, like none of that gets to the fun. And it sounds like you're saying almost the same thing, which is they want to get in the house. Don't slow it down. 100%. And by the way, you can still ask them all of those questions after you get them to the fun. And if you think as a consumer, I always, I often invite people when they're struggling with how to handle a consumer or how to handle a lead generation vertical or, or how to follow up, just put yourself in their shoes. Just put yourself in that situation. If you're trying to find information on something and you have to go through all of these loopholes and answer all these questions, you're just going to get frustrated and you're likely just going to quit. And so it's so important that we understand our consumer from our own perspective. There's a reason that Disney wants to get to the fun fast, or there's a reason that on Amazon you can buy everything with one click. Like they're trying to minimize the friction between where you are and where you want to be, because that's what we all want. So you're going to set the appointment as quickly as possible. We know, uh, and the lead aggregators have studied this, that an agent is 300% more likely to convert that that consumer if they get to the appointment within 48 hours than the agent who doesn't. 300% okay, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. When you say get to the appointment, you don't mean get to the initial phone call within two days. Because you started this by saying speed to lead. And I just want to clarify, when you say speed, are you talking within 10 minutes? Are you talking within five minutes? How quickly do I have to make first contact? I'm talking within nine seconds, Jason. When the phone rings, you should be within nine seconds answering that phone call. Okay. That's, that's crazy to me, but, okay, but that makes all the sense in the world. So number one, I got to make initial contact within nine seconds. Number two, I have to have a two to three minute phone call that focuses on what they want, not what I want. And that phone call has to culminate in me setting an appointment to get them physically to see a home within a two day period of the initial call. Is that right? 
That's exactly right. So my goal is to get them to that appointment as quickly as possible with as little friction as possible. And agents always look at me and with wide eyes and say, nine seconds. And I'll say, if you're just sitting there in front of your phone, it shouldn't take you more than nine seconds. And if you're not ready to lead generate, then just turn your leads off or pause them or whatever you need to do during that time. Speed matters. As a matter of fact, what Nikki is saying is speed matters more in this game than anything else. And you know why? It's because most of the leads that you're responding to, if you choose to use this lever of lead generation, are happening in real time. How do I know that? I know that because I use my cell phone to search for stuff. Touch some sky if you do too. Okay, everyone's now raising their hand, unless you're driving, of course. You use your phone when you're searching for real estate and those leads become created in real time. So if in nine seconds you click something and then you immediately get the information, don't you move closer and more trusting to the person providing it? And of course, it's proven that the answer is yes. You know, Stephen Covey wrote a book. It's called The Speed of Trust. And what he said is that strategy times execution equals results. Her strategy is being there first. In her mind, if I'm there first, that means everybody else might as well have not shown up. Her execution is doing it within the nine seconds. The result is she's converting more deals than most anybody else using this method of lead generation. Strategy times execution equals results. That's what she's saying, friends. I love that. Okay, so now I've set the appointment within 48 hours of the initial call. I'm now in the house. What do I do now? So this is where you actually have your your time to build rapport. This is where you actually have your appointment, so to speak. This is where you're asking the questions. You're getting more information on the person. This is where you're spending that time. So when we look up, we say, okay, we're, we're still having an appointment. It's just not the traditional appointment. Most people don't want to sit down and have that traditional appointment as buyers anymore. They'll do it in the house, though. You can literally get the same questions answered. You can go through the same process at that first meeting. And so we often encourage our agents too to schedule a few additional houses that are similar to that 123 Main Street that they called about. So whether it's a couple that are down the street or one that's within the same sort of framework, whatever they're looking for. And almost every agent when I'm talking at this point will say, well, what if they're not pre-qualified? What if they're not? It's okay if they're not when you get to that first appointment. Then you're working with a a lender to get them pre-qualified during that process. I'll always go to that first appointment whether they're pre-qualified or not. And then my goal is to build a relationship with them and get them to a lender. And the most important part of this, Jason, is that we have to be working with lenders who also understand this type of lead follow-up and this type of lead generation and who are going to follow up with that person in the same cadence and manner that you would. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I got I got to have a partner that speaks the language. And the language that I'm talking right now is a buyer. And I have to have a lender that understands how I got the buyer, what I'm saying to them, and what I need them to say to them so that this whole thing feels cohesive as opposed to a bunch of one-offs. Exactly. And ultimately, we understand that this type of lead generation requires a, a, an exorbitant amount of follow-up. The average conversion is about 186 days. That's the, that's the number that we're seeing right now. This changes all the time, depending upon what's happening in the world of real estate. But right now, we're seeing it at about 186 days. In other words, from the time that the lead comes through, from the time that I answer the phone to the time that it actually transacts, if it transacts, is 186 days. That means that by the time you take that phone call and get them to 
to the first appointment, they're likely not going to convert at that time. And so, so many agents look up and say, I'm not good at this, or this type of lead generation doesn't work. And I'll just say, no, you just haven't given it long enough. You're just way outside the average lead conversion. I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make in this type of lead generation too, that they're not giving it enough time to work. All right. So I'm at this initial meeting, I'm connecting them with my lender. Am I also working on a buyer's agency agreement? Of course. So you're not going to... the. The purpose of all of these conversations is that you move them naturally to whatever is the next most natural step in the buyer funnel or in their process. And so what that looks like is I'm having a conversation with them. We're going to agree to work together and I'm going to get a buyer agency agreement signed in order for us to continue working together. I'm giving them my time. I'm giving them my resources. I'm giving them my connections. Yes, we're absolutely going to sign that agreement. And then this is where we also see a lot of agents get hung up. Let's assume that they go to that first appointment and you have a great relationship with them and maybe you get them to sign the buyer's agency agreement or maybe you don't, whichever it is, and or and they don't like one of the houses that you've shown them. They like the area, but none of these houses check all the boxes. This happens all the time. Well, the way that most agents leave it, 99% of agents that we meet will leave it such that it, I'll send you a few properties and if there's anything that catches your eye, let me know. No, that is not how you convert these leads. The most important thing that you can do with this, with really anybody, like this this should be a rule in your entire ecosystem and all of your lead funnels, but specifically in this one, you have to use the magic words of real estate, which are this is what happens next. You should never leave that appointment without whatever is the next step, whether that's the next appointment, the next phone call you're going to be on, the next commitment that they've made, that you're that you're closing them to make, whatever it is, you should never leave that appointment without a this is what happens next. And by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the objection that every agent gives me, especially the ones that enter our ecosystem uh, early on. They'll say, Well, Nikki, if I schedule appointments for Saturday. And there are no houses to show them on Saturday. What do I do? And I'll say, you just cancel the appointment, Jason. Like you can just cancel. If there's nothing they want to see, you just reschedule that appointment. It's going to be okay. And by the way, if there are no homes for them to see, I would spend your time finding homes for them to see through your prospecting. You know, Gary Keller told me, he said, Jason, all of the biggest success is found in simplicity, yet everything naturally wants to become more complicated. And it sounds like you wake up every day with a giant red marker crossing off stuff, making your business simpler. All right, Nikki, we want to invite you to the lightning round. This is where we ask you a series of questions in very fast order, and you give us the first thing that comes to the top of your head. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right, hit it. What is your favorite color? Navy blue. What is your favorite food? Ramen. Stop the tape. <laughs> I could ramen is by the way, when you know they study how to make ramen for literally decades and there's two types of people that make the ramen. There's the guy that, and the gal that make the broth and then the ones that make the noodle. And when these two geniuses come together, there's different noodles for each different broth. I don't know if you if you knew this. I'm basically an expert in this subject, so we could this is another podcast, Jason, we can go all in on this, but it's just the perfect vehicle for all the toppings and you you can change it by to your point, the broth, the noodles. I I mean, I could go all day, but it just doesn't really get better than that. You know, I think it is funny that you live in a place where it never gets colder than 71 <laughs> degrees and yet you like soup. But we can I, move on from that. I mean, what I can is, eat it even when it's 85 degrees outside. Like, it is it is absolutely my favorite food. What is your favorite sound? What noise do you love? Like, the sound bowls. 
You ever heard those? Where they like the stick on top of the sound bowls? Yeah, so, yeah. It's so soothing. I or went to a just cl- uh, like top top two would be the sound of my toddler's little feet in the morning. Like my daughter, my my daughter, daughter and toddler combined. My daughter running around in the quiet of the morning and just hearing those toddler feet. Oh, there's nothing better than that. I love that. I love that. Is there a book that you've read that's been transformative for you that you think everyone in the audience should read? Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So good. Stop the tape. Stop the lightning round. Just stop for a second. Isn't it so crazy? Because Ryan Holiday, who's a friend of our program, we, we've spoken to him a bunch of times. We, we've had the pleasure of inviting him to our events. He took the, these stoic ideas, this Marcus Aurelius stuff, and he's made it like, quote unquote, cool again today. But how wild is it that the stuff that they were thinking about 1600 years ago is now still what would the kids say? It slaps. It's still hip and it's still with it today, Nikki. How could that be? How is that? I mean, I think it's a good reminder that we are the ones that overcomplicate things and that there are no new problems for us to solve. I mean, at the end of the day, that we're solving the same problems that we have been solving for hundreds, thousands of years at, 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 at their core. And the reason I love the book so much is for, for that reason and also because a lot of people forget that this isn't a book at all. This is his journal. Like you're literally just getting to read about him talking to himself. And he was arguably the person in the position to abuse his power the most. I mean, he was the far and away the most powerful person in the world at the time that this journal was written. And it's it's just his his thoughts of how to be a better human being. And I think that we can all take a lesson that no matter what happens, whatever we make manifest in our life, that who we are, who we become and how we choose to behave in the world and what we choose to give to the world, how we choose to treat people is the greatest marker of success that there could be. I love that. I love that. And by the way, if if that one feels deep for you, maybe check out The Daily Stoic because this will give you one meditation to read each day and you can baby step into the pool that is enlightenment. Okay, next, what podcast do you listen to? Now, before you answer, I got to just tell the world, it can't be the one that you host. Friends, Nikki hosts The One Thing Podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, there's over 400, 500 episodes and the next one is better than the one before and they are all fantastic. But Nikki, excluding that, Favorite podcast? Excluding the one thing and MREA, I would say Ryan Holiday's podcast. There it is. Friends, Nikki, thank you for joining us in the lightning round. Nikki, thank you for everything you're doing for the industry. Thank you for having me. She's like a walking quote machine. I mean, I think about the last 40 minutes that we spent together and I'm taken. I'm taken with so many of the things she said. I want to leave you with a few of my favorites. Number one, this idea that in life you get to pick your problems and then choose how you pay for them, I think that's absolutely profound. And it shows up everywhere in your life. And here's what I would suggest to you. Get okay for paying for solutions. Because, you know, I talk to people all the time and they say, Jason, you know, I know I should be calling my sphere of influence, but I'm not. And I say, well, how do you feel about that? And they say, oh, I feel terrible about it. And they're filled with this negative self-image because they know they should be doing it, but they're not doing it. Here's what I say. You've picked your problem. You've gotten into a relationship-based business where you need to contact your people. If you've made the choice that you're not going to do it, no problem. All you've done is chosen to pay for the solution which means go hire somebody that wants to do that for you. You don't have to feel badly about it. You don't have to keep ignoring it. But what you do have to do is be cognizant that you picked the problem and now you get to choose how you solve it. 
I think that's absolutely genius. You know, Nikki talks about going through life and having these opportunities. Boom, she's on TV and she's working for the NFL. Boom, she's in the development business and she's running at this investment firm. Boom, she's a team leader within a Keller Williams Market Center. Boom, she's a solo agent who's doing incredible. Then she looks up and here's what I've learned. There's two types of people, friends. There's the kind that look up and ask themselves, are they facing a problem that's unique to them? The other kind looks up and asks if they're facing a problem that is universal to everybody else. If you look up and realize that there is a universal problem, that means there's an opportunity for you. And what did Nikki do? She ran out and she solved it for herself and then she scaled it and solved it for everybody else. That's the key. Remember, when you sell something, there's only two ways to do it. Solve a problem or present an opportunity. Friends, I think Nikki Miller is doing both. There it is. That wraps another episode. Friends, I don't know what you're taking out of this. I really don't. I'll tell you what I want you to be taking out of it, which is these are the people that are having tremendously big lives. And the reason it's happening is because they're setting up the models and systems to do just that. Gary Keller told me that leadership is teaching people how to think so that they do the things they need to do when they need to do them so that ultimately they get the things they want when they want to have them. And that's what I want for you. You're all leaders, but it begins with leading ourselves. If you're enjoying this podcast, I want you to click the subscribe button anywhere that you get your podcasts. We want to be the voice in your head every single week. And every week we're dropping new content. We also send out a newsletter at the conclusion of every show to make sure that you get the highest points and the models and systems that were discussed. So if you want to sign up, I need your name and your email address. Head over to the millionaireagentpodcast.com. Millionaireagentpodcast.com. Enter your name and your email address, and every week that newsletter will be in your box. Friends, you just went on a journey. I hope that what happens between now and the next time we meet is absolutely wonderful for you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions of the guest represent those of the guest and not KWRI and its affiliates and should not be construed as financial, economic, legal, tax, or other advice. This podcast is provided without any warranty or guarantee of its accuracy, completeness, timeliness, or results from using the information. 